Thank you. That small choir of children from Calvary Christian School was painfully cute. Give them a round of applause. I don't even know where they are. Just give them a round of applause. It's amazing. I was at man camp, but it smelled so bad, so I came home. So now I get to be with you guys. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning as we continue our series in Ephesians. Better Together is the theme that we're kind of pulling out of that. And as we get started, and before we even jump into what we're talking about this morning, I have a question for you, and this is the question. How are you doing? Pretty good? How are you feeling today? Good? Are you getting the series that we are in right now. Sometimes we just kind of go on these things and we message, 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 and you're coming week after week and you get this, all these things and you never kind of stop to go, okay, where are we at? What are we going? What are we doing here? This morning, we transition in the text even a little bit to a new section. We've just been in a, a part of the, the letter that Paul is writing where he is approving things and telling us to put on the new man and put off the old man. And, and we're, we've been going through that, and I'm wondering if you're all on board. So here's what I want you to do. It's too big of a room for us to have a big old group discussion, even though I wish we could. So here's what I want you to do. If, if you're near someone, turn to your neighbor, and this is what I want you to do. I just want you to say, how are you doing? How is your day going? How is the week? Uh, you can ask how the person is feeling, uh, what's going on in their life, maybe even briefly. And then <clears throat> get to the question of, what are some of the themes that you feel like you see in Ephesians that have been coming up, right? We, this is our second uh, like part of this Ephesians series. Are you getting the letter that Paul is writing? Are you getting the themes of Better Together? Just turn briefly to the person next to you and, and say this. I think a theme in Ephesians is, and then we'll kind of go from there. Does that make sense? All right, find someone next to you. Just ask them how they're doing. <clears throat> If you're not next to anyone, you can kind of think or you can move or do whatever you'd like. Okay. <clears throat> How's everyone doing? <clears throat> doing okay? Good. I'm so glad that we are here. How many of you... I just want to throw a quick shout out to anyone who's still in school. It's finals. If you're not in school right now and you know somebody who's in school, this is finals time. So when you see them, just give them some coffee or something like that, right? Because it's crazy. I'm in finals too. So it's a busy time of year. The year is winding down. Summer is coming. Some, some exciting things. Uh, and we're in Ephesians. And we're kind of transitioning here, even in this letter. Uh, and I'm wondering... Are you picking up on the themes? Some of the themes are obviously the major one, that we are better together. The body of Christ can't turn to one another and say, we don't need you, and we're fine without you, you know? We need one another. We are one body. I prefer the title instead of better together. I prefer worse alone. I don't know why. It just kind of sounds funnier, but, but it's the same thing, right? You know? When we're alone, it's, it's not as good as when we're together. That's a huge theme. Another theme, and it's the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. And if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians 5. We're going to be right in the beginning there. <clears throat> in Ephesians 5, there is a theme, 
And the, and the, the theme that is, it's kind of a hinging theme, right, that we've been talking about for a long time. Because of this one thing, a lot of our lives are going to look differently. How many of you remember a while back when Matt Davis and Eric, they preached together and Matt Davis was putting on shirts and then taking off shirts? Do you remember this? Yes? Okay. So yeah, you take off a shirt, right? And it's what you're representing, what they were representing is that we are putting off our old self, right? Our old man. And we are putting on our new man. And the theme is that Christ, our faith in Christ, the salvation work that God has done for us and for the body of believers, and this is it, has changed your identity And the way that they would understand that, because we're a little bit more individualistic, the way they would understand that is what Christ has done, he's changed our identity. We are now the body of Christ. We are now a different thing. We are children of God. And because of that, because of our identity change, that means that we live out a new reality. We live out a new identity. And to do that, our habits, our sinful ways, we take those off. We're putting those down. And what we're picking up is new life, life in the spirit, good things, a different way of living. And that's the theme of this. Paul has just got done through all of four kind of saying, put this down and and stop doing this. Take this off and put this on. And now he kind of wraps it up by saying this in Ephesians 5, 1. Read with me. Therefore, therefore of your new identity, therefore you've put off all these things and put on these new things. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in in love. This is the therefore. Therefore, all of that has happened because that major theme of Ephesians is there. Because of that, we now live in imitation of God. We imitate him. We do the things that he does and we look to him. I don't know if you guys know, but about a, almost a year ago, believe it or not, it's crazy. A year ago, I, me and my wife, we adopted a young son named Matthew, right? And he's a wonderful, beautiful little child. And as he came into our family, uh, you could, in some ways, his identity changed, right? He now had me and my wife, Jessie, as parents. And we began to teach him things. We taught him words. We taught him movies. He's obsessed with Finding Nemo. He doesn't, I've seen that movie 400 times. And he's become, his new identity is being lived out in our family, right? What some, some of my favorite things to do are is to do something and then watch him try to do it. Does, does that make sense? You know what I mean? I actually have a video of us at the park, me doing something, and then my son Matthew trying to like replicate it and imitate me. Check it out. Watch this video. You lean forward, throw your body weight. Matthew, try. Nice! (laughs) I don't know why I thought that a two-year-old would be able to comprehend the the idea of throwing body weight. I don't think he's like, uh, no idea. He's just watching me, right? Let's watch it again because it's the most adorable thing in the world. (laughs) Lean forward, throw your body weight. Matthew, try. 
Nice. He got about a half rotation. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. He's two, all right? Cut him a break. But he's imitating me, right? He's, trying, he's copying me. He's, try, he's seen me do something, and he's trying to do it. And that is the same thing Paul is calling us to. He's saying, now that you have your new identity, now that you are a child of God and you are in the kingdom of God, what do you do? Well, you put off your old self, and based on your new identity, you imitate our heavenly Father. You imitate Christ. Why? It's the same reason in all of these letters. Go to Galatians. In Galatians 2.20, it's the same thing. You get the why. You get the why we can live like this. Why we can imitate God. Why we can imitate Christ and live differently based on our new identity. It's the same thing. In Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a song about that, right? Does anyone remember that song from when you were growing up? Is it just me? I have been crucified. Okay, no, just me. Uh, I have been, Christ lives in me and the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If the reasoning is the same. We live with Christ. We have been crucified with him and now we live with him. Why? Because Christ has given himself up for me. It's what God has done. It's our new identity. And out of that, we live. If you have your bulletin, you can follow along with me. And the second point under this, it says, Christ is the grounds for and the model for our love for each other. What God is calling us to do, what Paul is calling the Ephesians to do, is to walk in love as they imitate God. That's what we're called to do. To live out this new life is to walk in love. The grounds for that, our ability to do that, is what Christ has done for us on the cross, our salvation. He's also the model for that, the model for how we should live and how we should walk. And I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you this again. In the first century, when this would have been received, right, the people who heard this for the first time had a way different understanding of how you followed someone, okay? In our modern culture, you have about a million ideas that are thrown at you constantly. You have political ideas. You have, like, pop ideas. You have music ideas. And there's all these different people you can follow. You could be a, a, a sports fan. You could be this. You could be this. And across the board, you are inundated with just too much stuff, right? So our culture, what they do is they decide that to follow something, then there is a verbal or maybe social media commitment that you are following that thing, right? I believe in this. And maybe that's translated to you the way you follow Christianity or you follow Christ. As you say, I believe in Jesus, right? I believe in these five things, totally. Or I believe in this, I follow that. And for us, our culture, it's a verbal affirmation, is that, you following that? That's not what it was for them. In the first century, for you to follow someone, it, it, it entailed action. It entailed that you would live that thing out. So if you were to follow Philo, who was a Greek philosopher, right? If you were to follow him, like his teachings, that meant you did the things that he told you to do. You lived that certain way of life. There's no way you would say that you did those things and not follow them. Right? And the same thing if you were a moral teacher. If I was Doug Brown, the you know, Roman moral philosopher or something like that. If I said all of these things, you should do all these things, and I didn't do them, I would be a terrible moral philosopher. Right? 
But you come back to here, and what Paul is calling them to is, you are now a child of God. You are now in the kingdom of God based on what Christ has done for you, and your example and the way you live is Christ. So all the other ways that you've been following, now stop, and you are in this way. So people knew what that meant. You were to follow Jesus. You were to do the things that he would do. But here we have our first problem that was brought up for the Ephesians, right? And that's this. They live in a radically, and this is our theme for the morning. Get ready. Are you ready? Okay, you're ready. I feel like you're ready. They live in a radically over-sexualized culture. They do. They really did. And I know that's nothing like our culture that we live in today. So I don't really know how to apply this, but no. no their culture was over-sexualized completely. Probably even more, and this is saying something, more over-sexualized than we were, right? <clears throat> Does anyone know? Say, if you, and this is a little bit of history, but if you could think about being a Roman, right, in that world, what was Ephesus? The, this is, the, the letter was written to this church in Ephesus. What was it known for? Do you know? If you're like, I'm going to travel to Ephesus. Oh, don't forget to go to, it would be like if you're going to, you know, in New York. Oh, don't forget to go to Manhattan or something like that. Don't forget to go to the Temple of Artemis. It was with, it, they were known for this, right? Don't forget to go to the temple. It's one of the wonders of the ancient world. I'm, you know, I'm summering in Ephesus to see the temple. This is what people did, right? And the temple was surrounded by prostitution and by idol worship. People sold little figurines, naked figurines, right? And prostitution happened. They sold so many of these figurines to take back home to, for people that when Christianity kind of broke out and Paul was preaching, they threatened to kill Paul because they're like, you're killing our business. That's how, that's how much it was happening there. Ephesus, at the heart of it, had temple worship, had idol worship, and had prostitution, right? It was just part of the culture. So, bless you. So, so, if you're a Christian and you live there, you have some problems. Because the culture and the cultural norms of the day, right, maybe it doesn't mean that you take part in all of that, right? It doesn't mean that, oh, yeah, you wake up and then you go get a prostitute for lunch or something like that. What it meant, though, is that it was everywhere. And it was certainly something that you were okay with. And for certain the idol worship, the worship to that God, that would have been seen as something good. So now you have completely different culture coming in. You have the kingdom of God come in, and you're going to have a problem. What you're going to have is two kingdoms, right? Let's just say right here is the kingdom of the world, right? This is the kingdom of the world. It's over here. It has a lot of weird things which we're going to talk about. And then over here is the kingdom of God, right? Totally radically different over here. And it has its own cultural normal things that it's going to accept. And the Ephesians are, are sitting right there in the middle. And you know what? So are we, sitting there right in the middle. And this is what Paul has to say about it. If you've been, your identity has changed, you should be putting off the old person, putting on the new. You are, you are imitating Christ. Well, this, and read with me, in Ephesians 5, 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is improper among the saints. 
or as proper among the saints. That it, those things must not even be named among you. If you have your outline, I listed them like this. Greed, immorality, and any impurity. Because I think at the center of this lifestyle, the over-sexualized lifestyle, is greed. It's the, the fountain where all of the desire comes from. Because if we have this certain way that we're supposed to live, and we're not getting what we want out of this way of living, out of our greed, we say, I want more than that, so I'm going to look for it in other ways. I don't care if it's, if it's holy, if it's unholy, if it's pure, or if it's perverse. I just want what I want, and I'm going to get it. So at the heart of it is greed. Let me tell you a quick story. I was in a class, a philosophy class with this guy named J.P. Moreland, super awesome, smart, prolific professor. And we were talking about postmodernism, right? This is a way of thinking that is really prevalent among us in our culture. And postmodernists would say this. They would say that if you're trying to get to truth, if you're trying to get to reality, well, you can't quite do it. But what you can do is you can get to something close to that. You can get to a substitute of that, right? And the, what you're going to get to is proper language use. Kind of weird, right? You're going to get to being an efficient language user so that if I say something, it makes sense in my culture. That's all that truth is is that if it makes sense in the way that I said it and the language is correct, then it is true. But to say that something is true across every culture, well, that's, that's kind of would be ridiculous. Because every culture has a different way of speaking. Every culture has a different way of saying things. And every culture has a different way of, of deeming someone a correct language user. It's a bizarre thing. And there's a lot more to it. But the natural question arises, if that is true, is it true for everyone? Is that the only real absolute truth? that that worldview is true, right? Well, there was a famous philosopher who went and did a, a, a meeting, a speech at USC, right? And at USC, a student stands up and he asks that same question. Well, professor, I have a question. Is that true? Is it true that the way that you just talked about life and reality, is that true for everyone? And the guy stood there and he said, well, young man, no, it's not. So you're like, what? <laughs> This seems to be falling apart at the seams, right? He says, it's not true. If the way that you speak about truth in your culture, in your world, is not the way I speak about it, then it's not true for you, right? And they become the most slippery people in the entire world because you don't really quite know what truth is. So in my class, somebody goes, okay, professor, what would be the motivation for believing in this way of thinking? What would be the motivation for believing that truth is completely relative and just up to the way you speak about things? My professor, J.P. Moreland, he leaned back and he said, hmm. Thought about it for like a little bit too long. I'm like, what's he gonna say? He leans forward and goes, you know, I know these guys. Here's why. I think they want to have sex with whoever whenever and however they want to. We were like, what? <laughs> That's not the answer that we thought that you were going to come up with. And he said, these people want to live a certain lifestyle. They want what they want. And a lot of them, for a lot of them, it's Im immorality. It's impurity. It's sexual whatever they want. And to live that lifestyle, they have to justify it. And how do you justify it? Well, you make everything be what you want it to be. Truth is just the way you speak about the world. Does this make sense? 
Yes? This is a problem. And this is what I'm, anyone who's like under 40, I'm talking to you, you believe this and you don't even realize it because it's sunk into your head and you learned it watching cartoons in the morning, believe it or not. Trust me, I can tell you all about it. But this is, this is the culture that we live in, right? That it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't quite matter what you do as long as you kind of are getting what you want. And greed is at the center of all of our culture. I work with high school students and I can't tell you how many of them are just told, what do you want out of life? Go to the school that you want to go to. Get the grades that you do. Hang out with the people that you want to so you can get the job that you want. And then you'll do what you want to do. And then finally, you can do what you want to do to the point where you have enough money. So all you have to do is do what you want to do every day. <laughs> and at the center of it is just greed. And then they come to the Christian church and you go, all right, let's, let's talk about Christianity. What do I get? And you're like, no, it's not. No, it's not about that. You've missed it. Because if you leave greed at the center, you're forgetting what the kingdom is all about. You're forgetting the themes of better together, of your identity change. And next on the list is immorality. Immorality for Ephesians meant uh, prostitution. It meant adultery. It meant sexual acts, right? The things that are tangible and real and things that for us we would say, yes, that is clearly sexual immorality. But he goes on to even say any impurity, any impurity shouldn't even be named among you. Any impurity. Like, whoa, why are you being so strict? Well, because Paul has a different mindset here. A lot of times we approach the scriptures thinking, all right, there's this kingdom and then there's this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven and the one of the world. I want to be in this one, not in that one, right? So then we approach the scriptures saying, tell me all the things that I don't have to do so I avoid this and I can get in here because I'm in limbo here and all I want to do is avoid that and get that. So what's the 15 things that I can't do? All right, I'll check them all. Perfect, I'm over here. And I don't think that's what Paul's saying. In fact, I know that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, because of your faith in Christ, because of what God has done for you, because of your identity change, you are here. You are in the kingdom of heaven. You are part of the body of believers. Because of your identity change, then you have no other option than to live out who you truly are which means you do not act on greed. That's not your center motivation anymore. Because it's not. The reality is that you have a new, per, a new person is being built within you. And we start to put off things of greed. We start to put off impure things. And any impurity, the small things, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we look at people, the way we interact with people, all of those little things change from the inside, out of your new identity. It's not a checklist thing. It's a core change. So we sometimes say, oh, any impurity. Oof. Okay, what are the impurities? We start listing them. I think it's the wrong direction. I think we need to look inward and see the, uh, the identity in the person change that Christ has given us. Because here's the reality. It moves on in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, 4, read with me there, it says this, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And we have this desire we have this huge desire 
to leave that over there and this over here, right? And we say, okay, we want nothing to do with this. And Paul's expanding on the previous thoughts. And as we want that to be over there and this to be over here in the kingdom of heaven, we kind of fall into the role that the disciples often fell into. Do you know what role that is? They wanted the kingdom in its entirety to come all of the time. If you ever have time, read through the scriptures of how many times the disciples ask for the kingdom to show up now. Or they wonder when it's going to come. They wonder what role they're going to have in the kingdom when it does come. Is it happening now? Is it happening now? Jesus would make this amazing, wonderful point about how we're supposed to live in love and, and live out the kingdom of heaven and to do these things and to follow Christ. And they sit there and they go, okay, God, so is the kingdom going to come now? <laughs> what role do I have? Where do I get to sit at the table? And Christ is saying, no, you're missing it. Because, here's the problem, the kingdom of, of heaven and the kingdom of this world right now, shh, pff, they're brought in together. Seen clearly in the book of Ephesians. They're brought in together. They exist at the same time. That's why Jesus says, my kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. You are not fighting the powers of this world. You're fighting the powers of the unforeseen thing, of the unseen things. You have a spiritual battle on your hands. Because yes, the culture is all around you, but also you've been transplanted. And you have a new identity that lives itself out in this culture. So that's why when it says filthiness, silly talk, all these things, we might think, what on earth is that, right? No silly talk. You go to lunch today and someone's like, oh man, I'm so hungry. No, silly talk. I don't know what that means, right? What it is, and what it is that Paul is getting at in the Greek, honestly, is this. I wrote it down for you so you could have it. Having a dirty mind, a sexually perverse mind expressing itself in vulgar conversation, right? The way that people used to talk back then. Honestly, the way that we talk now. It's the most evident Thing about us that is telling of who we are and where we come from. Because you have two people living side by side. One of them could be, you know, in the kingdom of this earth, living out all of greed, immorality, impurity. And another person standing right there. How do you know the way? How do you know that they're different? This person has a new inward being, a new soul, like a, a rejuvenated soul, right? With the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Because what comes out of them, well, the way that they live is if they are in a different kingdom. Their kingdom is centered around imitating Christ, walking in love. So that's why Paul outlines it. You are not like that anymore. You are like this. And we have to get real before we close. And the real part is this. We live in a culture that is very similar to the Ephesians. Would you agree? Yeah? Yes. How many of you, even in the last week, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have seen evidence or witnessed the, it's just the over-sexualized culture in a very blatant way in the last week? I would say absolutely everyone, right? All you have to do is wake up in the morning <laughs> and it's there, right? People are using sexuality in a way that's improper. But here's, what, here's the problem. Our culture tells us, right? That sexual immorality is, is not immorality. Sexual immorality is not something that exists. There's just sexuality. And that all of sexuality is good. 
They would say marriage, you don't need marriage to have sex, right? We would say that the following Christ has said that marriage is the type of relationship and the type of thing which can handle the type of physical thing that sex is. So that when two people promise to be in a coveted relationship, for the rest of their life, then sexual activity is something that can be housed within that, right? But people say, that's not true. You just have sex with whoever you want. Just make sure that you like them a lot, right? And then you can live together. You can just pretend that you're married, live together, have sex, and you could even have kids together. Joseph, it's not wrong. You don't, that, you're, you're missing it. The way you dress isn't important. The way you talk isn't important. What you look at online Pornography isn't wrong. All of these things. You can do all of this. For them, it's not immorality. For them, it's not immoral. For them, it's not perversion. But then we have a problem. The problem is this. For a long time, for thousands of years, Jesus has been making people countercultural. He's doing it right here in Ephesians. He's making the Ephesians countercultural. And what's at the center of it? What's at the center of them becoming countercultural? An unescapable reality that God exists. And if God exists, then we need to be reconciled to him. And Christ has reconciled us. Christ has done that. He's changed our identity. And if our identity changes, then we are no longer angry when we should be angry. We are gracious. We are no longer vengeful when we should be vengeful. We are forgiving. And we are no longer perverse. We are pure. And it is weird. Because our culture says there's nothing wrong with that. And we say, yeah, but God exists. (laughs) And I got to do something about that. I have to do something about that. I can't be like the postmodernist who says, ah, it's all words. Because it's not. It's reality, and what's God has, it's what God has done for us. Open your, go back, go in your Bibles to 1 John. It's my favorite passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. 1 John 2, 15. Are you getting what I'm saying? If somebody asks you to talk to your neighbor next week about what's going on, you, you will remember this, right? Hopefully, yeah? Every word. Every word? Okay, perfect. Here's what's going on in this passage. Paul it's good to think of him sometimes as an, a missionary, a, a prolific, brilliant writer. He's helping raise the church in Ephesus, and he's telling them these things. Your identity has changed. You need to imitate Christ. Imitate your Father in heaven. I know you live in a perverse culture, but that's what Christ has done for us. To be reconciled to him, to have true joy, to have true life, to have eternal life, is to follow him. And it's going to look like you look differently in the same challenges to you. John is a pastor in some ways, to think of him like that, in Asia Minor, which is the area of Ephesus, right? And he's writing to his people. And he tells them this in 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. That's their pastor in a lot of ways. Think about it like that. Those who love the world 
are loving something that is passing away. Those who love the Father are loving something that lives on forever. So my challenge to you this week, I want you to do it. I want you to think about your life. Think about your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your kids, whatever it is. Think about your life and you're in our community here. We are being pulled constantly into a sexually perverse way of living. And it's not saying, come here and do all the evil things. It's saying, what's wrong with you? This isn't wrong. And we have a decision to make. Either we will give in and follow the world, the things which are passing away, or we will stay here and say, yeah, but God exists, and he's changed me from the inside out. He's changed who I am. And I'm going to now imitate him. My life is going to look like an imitation of Christ every day in the way that I talk, in the way that I dress, in the way that I do relationships, in the way that I do physical relationships. I'm going to imitate Christ. And that's the way my life is going to look. Okay, we're going to sing some songs. And I'm going to go, I'll probably go over there, but we'll have people at each of these prayer points. And you can come up, pray with us. If, you, if, if a community like this sounds like something that you're interested in, if you're like, yeah, but I don't have that identity change, I don't have that salvation, come and, come and let us tell you about it. You also have options. You can come here and take communion. Take the body, the blood, the representation of, of, of what Christ did for us. To say, I remember this. To, to say, Jesus, you have changed me. You can give your offering. And as we sing these songs, I just want you to think. Think about, like I said, your life, your community. In what ways are we being pulled? In what ways do we need to decide to stand strong and choose life, to choose joy, and to choose the kingdom of God over the kingdoms of this world? Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you so much for this community of believers. Lord, thank you that the letter written to the Ephesians is so applicable to our lives now today, Lord. I pray for everyone being pulled into a sexually perverse way of living. God, I pray that they would choose you based on their new identity, that they would imitate you and that they would follow you every day. Lord, we love you so much. We offer these, this praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.